West Bulls, good morning. Uh, one statement to get us started this morning. If you are sitting here this morning, you might be crazy. And I'll explain. A few times now, I've stood up here and I have, I've tried as best I can and as accurately as possible to portray what life as the only male in a female, in a, in a whole household full of females is like. And we have three females in our house, four if you count our cat, but it doesn't matter if it's three or four or 50, being the only male is just a little bit overwhelming at times. And so last December, we found out my wife, Carol, was pregnant, and I immediately went before the Lord. <laughs> and I said, Lord, thank you. If this is another daughter, I promise I will love her as much as I would a son. And I will love her as much as any of our other children. But God, now that I've said that, <laughs> oh, Lord, hear my cry. <laughs> For I am surrounded and outnumbered. And the strength of my adversaries overtakes me. <laughs> the midday sun has gone dark. And my thirst is unquenched. And fear and trepidation are my constant companions. <laughs> Please send help. Amen. And you laugh, but that is how it felt sometimes. <laughs> And so God was faithful. He sent help. Seven weeks ago this morning, you'll see up on the screen, we had Lincoln Allen Harrison. So, and in the, midst of, in the midst of being so happy about having a baby, I forgot about this condition that occurs when you have a baby. It's actually an epidemic. It's called sleep deprivation. And the effects of sleep deprivation are hideous. Um, they start they start very just mild and it gets bad. It gets really bad. Um, numerous times over the last seven weeks, I have poured orange juice or coffee or pop on our children's cereal and on our children. And everybody knows that when you change a baby's diaper, you undo the old dirty one, you clean them up and you get a new one in there as fast as possible for the safety and the protection of everyone involved. And so one night, it was the middle of the night, and I undid the old dirty diaper. I cleaned him up, and I looked at his face, and he had kind of this half smile. And it was the first time I'd ever seen our son smile. And so I leaned down to give him a kiss on the cheek, and it was this warm, tender, bonding moment between father and son. And then I realized it was just a warm moment because <laughs> there was this warm stream of pee hitting me in the neck. And so a couple nights goes by, and now the uh, lack of sleep has compounded. And so middle of the night, I'm changing his diaper, and my eyes are shut. I get the new diaper on, zip him up, put him to bed. And the next morning, Kara is changing his diaper, and caked to his back was this old urine-soaked diaper that I had forgotten to pull out the night before. And so... This is why I say you might be crazy for sitting here this morning because after all the lack of sleep, let's strap a microphone to Nathan's face 
and have him give a message from the Word of God. And so I don't know whether to tell you thank you for being here or ask you what are you doing here this morning, but I will say thank you for being here. It is truly humbling and an honor to stand up here and give a message that God has put on my heart. As we approach to this week, I have truly felt unfit to stand up here and give a message. In fact, my plan was to get up, and we're going to be in Isaiah 6 this morning. I was just going to open Isaiah 6, read it, and sit down to reduce any liability this church would have for what comes out of my (laughs) sleep-deprived brain. Um, But God was faithful with this message as well, and he showed me something that I want to show you this morning, and it's simply this. Everything he is deserves everything I've got. Everything he is deserves everything I've got. In fact, will you just repeat after me, Lord, everything you are deserves everything I've got. And that is something that I hope does not just stay on the pages of Isaiah 6 this morning, but that is something that I pray will jump into each and every heart in here for all of our days. Because as I sat with this, I was reminded that the God we serve wants everything we've got. He wants your heart. He wants your mind. He wants your soul. And he wants your strength. And not only does he want all of that, but as I sat with this, I was reminded that he deserves everything we've got everything. And that is a difficult thing to remember as you walk through this life. And as we, as we look in the book of Isaiah, this was a difficult thing for Isaiah as well. There's not a whole lot known about Isaiah, but he's thought to have come from a lot of money. He's thought to have been well-educated. He's thought to have had military ties, political ties, and he's thought to have had ties to the royal court. And yet, when we open Isaiah 6 this morning, you're going to see that he's being called to serve the Lord. And so the question as we walk through this is, what would cause him to do that? What would cause Isaiah to leave all of that and serve the Lord with everything he had? And we're going to find out this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, we are in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. And if not, it'll be up on the screen. But follow along. Here we are, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so King Uzziah here, you can read about him in Chronicles. He was 16 years old when he was appointed king of a nation. Most 16-year-olds we know are worried about driver's license and dating and keeping the grades up. King Uzziah was appointed to lead a nation, and it started off very well. The Lord was with him. He blessed his reign. But as time went on, and as we got closer to Isaiah 6 here, he became proud to the detriment of his own leadership and of the people of God. And so we see here that there is a change taking place on a human level, and King Uzziah will no longer reign as king. But Isaiah, something else is going on here. Isaiah looks up, and in the midst of the human change and the chaos and everything else, he looks up, and he sees God still on the throne. 
and he's getting a picture of everything that God is. I mean, imagine this. He looks up, and there's God on his throne, everlasting. No matter what kind of change is going on, on a human level, God remains firmly in place. And so we already see something about God, that he is constant and everlasting. Well, it goes on, verse 2. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And I read this and I thought, well, this is just kind of weird. I mean, you picture God on a throne and there are these angels with six wings flying around him. And their name, seraphim, it means burning ones. They are burning with the praise of this almighty God. But I thought this is kind of weird. If I had six wings, I'd want to fly with all six wings. But they're only using two. And with two, they're covering their feet. And with two, they're covering their faces. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. But it makes more sense as we look at verse 3. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. That word holy, I mean, it covers a lot. But one of the things it means is set apart. They're saying the Lord is set apart. And so there's this moment between Moses and God where Moses says, God, I want to see you. I want to see your face. And God answers him. And he says, no man can see the face of God and live. No man. And so suddenly we understand why these angels are covering their faces. Because even they, if they were to look and see God's face, they would die. Because he is holy, he is sacred, he is set apart. There's a moment where Moses got a glimpse of the back of God, and he came away radiant, his face glowing because of the glory of God. But not only is the sight of God holy and sacred and set apart, but even his name is. There's a moment when they come to arrest Jesus, and he says, who are you looking for? And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says two words that as you look through scripture, you see are the holy name of God. He says, I am. I am he. And what's incredible about that passage is as soon as he said it, it knocked all these guys over. They fell to the ground because the name of God is that holy and sacred and set apart. And I'm reading that and I thought, Jesus, I can relate because there are mornings we'll wake up and my wife is like, Nathan, your breath is powerful. <laughs> I mean, you could knock people over with that. But I, I realized as I read this, it's a different kind of power, totally different kind of power here. But his name is holy. And we see if, as we continue, not only is he set apart, but look at what the angels say next. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. So not only is he set apart from anything in all creation, any person, anything, but he is part of all of creation. And it shouts the glory of God. We live at the foot of one of the most beautiful mountain ranges in the world, the Rocky Mountains. And I, I know I myself am guilty of driving up and down C-470 all week long and not looking over at those mountains once. 
But as I go about my day, as we all go about our day, the mountains continue to shout the glory of God. When we sleep at night, the mountains are still there, proclaiming the glory of God. As we go about our days and our weeks and our months and the years of our lives, the mountains remain shouting the glory of God. And so he is constant. He is set apart, but part of all of creation. He is glorious. But as you continue to look at his creation, you see something else. He is perfect. He does not make mistakes. The air you are breathing right now, the air that you're inhaling into your lungs, it's 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and 1% argon and carbon dioxide. If that composition were to change too much in either direction, our lungs that God created, we, we could not live. Too much oxygen and we have this very reactive combustible atmosphere. There'd be burning everywhere. No life could live. Too little oxygen and no one could breathe. And that's on that level. So right now you are inhaling and exhaling literally the glory of God. But on a much bigger level, the earth that we exist on, our galaxy is thought to be 100 to 120,000 light years across. And the earth that we live on, if it were just a few light seconds closer to the sun or a few light seconds further from the sun, we would burn up or freeze. There's a quote attributed to an unknown source, and it says this. It says, the fact that we are spinning on a giant mass of rock at over 1,000 miles per hour while revolving at a rate of 67,000 miles per hour around a giant fiery ball of gas with only the law of gravity keeping us on that rock, that is no accident of a random cosmos. That is the perfection and the precision of a divine creator. See, he is perfect and precise. And so you can imagine, here's Isaiah, and he's looking up and he sees everything God is. He sees this picture of everything God is. And in the midst of it, suddenly Isaiah gets a picture of what man is in the sight of everything that God is. Look at verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And in saying this, Isaiah joins a group of people that if you look throughout Scripture, this is a common statement, a common attitude among those who are standing in the presence of everything God is. Father Abraham, known as the father of all who believe, when he spoke with God, he said, I am but dust and ashes. Job, when he spoke with God, he came away from it. And God has said about Job that he is an upright and perfect man. But Job came away from this, this being in the presence of God, and he said this. He said, I am vile. King David, known as a man after God's own heart, said about himself in the beginning of his life that I began, I started in sin and iniquity. 
Peter, one of Jesus' own disciples, fell at Jesus' feet. And he said, I am a sinful man, O Lord. And the apostle Paul referred to himself as the chief of sinners. And you, you look at this group of people that Isaiah is now joining by saying this. And I don't know about you, but the first word to my mind is not sinful. I mean, I think we all know that we're all sinful in our sinful nature, and of course they're sinful as well. But I don't think sinful, first thing. I mean, these are heroes of our faith. These are heroes of the Bible. And what it goes to show, I mean, we'll teach Sunday school stories about them, but what it goes to show is that even the best man on his best of days cannot stand in the presence of everything that God is. He has no business being in the presence of the holy God of the universe. And so we see this humble response of man in the midst of God, and it's a proper attitude about ourselves, the humility. But I think one thing we're guilty of is we misinterpret that, and we think humility should mean humiliation. And we'll say words like worthless, and I'm supposed to be useless, and without value. And it's understandable that we might think that. I mean, look at the culture we live in. You know, the, the best, the best qualified, the best performing, they get the promotion. They make varsity. They get first place. And those who aren't qualified, who aren't good enough, they get cut. They go home. They don't make it. And so here is this man, Isaiah, of unclean lips, standing in the midst of this holy, holy God, of everything that God is. And we, what would we expect to happen? You know, by our thinking, he's going to get thrown out. He's going to get destroyed. God's going to say, how dare you stand in my presence? Well, what happens? Verse 6. And the Lord became enraged and declared Isaiah worthless and condemned him to burn. Except that's not what it says. I mean, we'd, we'd maybe expect it to say that based on how we think, but that's not what it says. And this is important here because now Isaiah has a picture of everything God is. He has a picture of what man is in the presence of everything God is. And now Isaiah is about to get a picture that God has of man. Take a look at verse six, the real verse six and seven. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So God, no destruction, no burning him up, no telling him to get out. No, not at all. In fact, the live coal that touched Isaiah's lips, the whole point of the live coal was not to burn Isaiah up. It's to clean him up. It's not to declare Isaiah worthless. It's to declare him worthy. 
Wow. I mean, people will say things like, the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath, and the God of the New Testament is a God of love. Well, then explain this verse to me. Because here we are in the Old Testament. And I don't, I don't see that here. And on the one hand, people are right. I mean, anything that opposes everything that God is, in other words, sin, it deserves his wrath. Anything. In other words, you and me, we deserve God's wrath. And throughout the pages of Scripture, you can see his terrible, terrible wrath towards sin. And it's only made right through bloody sacrifice. But this verse is a reminder. It's a reminder that the heart of everything that God is is not to destroy man in his separation from God. It is to restore man from his separation with God. And not only that, this is not just a reminder of that. This is a preview of what God wants to do with all man. Because what he does here with Isaiah is a preview of what he would do 740, 750 years later. God would send his son, Jesus, to the earth and ultimately to the cross where the full force of his holy wrath towards sin that you and I deserve, that all man deserves, would be poured out in full force on his son. All of it. So that he could look at you and he could look at me and say the same thing he said to Isaiah. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. There's, there's a story that's been circulating since the 1950s. It's about a man who, um, in England, he bought a Rolls Royce because the makers of Rolls Royce had advertised that it's the car that will not break down. So he bought a Rolls Royce, and one day he's in another country, and he's driving, and there's a sound under the hood, and his Rolls Royce broke down. And so he gets on the phone, and he calls Rolls Royce, and he says, look, your, your car that you said that I bought because you said it would never break down, well, it, it broke down. And so they flew a mechanic out, and the mechanic got under the hood, and he fixed it right there on the spot, and he got back in the helicopter and flew off. And so the man gets back home, and a few months go by, and he noticed he hasn't gotten a bill. And so he calls Rolls-Royce, and he says, hey, I just want to get this behind me. You know, um, I haven't gotten a bill for my Rolls-Royce being fixed. And the voice on the other end of the line said, I'm sorry, sir, but we have no record of a Rolls-Royce ever breaking down. <laughs> Imagine that the God of the universe, everything he is, in all that he is, would look at your life. And he'd look at my life. And he'd say, I have no record of anything breaking down. And in this moment, not only does he give Isaiah God's picture of man, 
but he adds to the picture of everything he is. That he is constant, he is everlasting. He is set apart, yet part of all creation. He is glorious, he is perfect, he is precise. But add to that, loving. He is a loving God. And so now Isaiah has gotten this picture of everything God is. He's gotten a picture of what man is in the presence of everything God is. And he's gotten a picture that God has of man. And now Isaiah is going to get a chance to respond because God is about to ask a question. Look at verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Okay, now stop there for a minute. Think about this. Here's Isaiah. And the money he came from, it doesn't matter anymore. His education, it doesn't matter anymore. His ties to different arenas, political, military, royal ties, they don't matter anymore. Even his previously unclean lips, they don't matter anymore. And he looks at God and look at the second part of verse 8. And I said, here am I. Send me. God, seeing everything you are, send me. I want to give you everything I've got. Everything. This is the only response we can give everything that God is. Not because he wants it, but because he deserves that response from us. Everything I've got, Lord. Everything you are deserves everything I've got. And I got to be honest, I worry and I get fearful at times that we are missing the potential and the opportunity to give him everything we've got. And the reason is because we will look at our own lives and we'll say, I'm unfit to be in your presence. I'm, maybe you've said things like, I'm worthless. I'm useless. And we feel like we have no value. If God wanted that to be the message, that would have been the message. He gets his message through. That is not his message. And so can we stop looking at our own lives and can we stop looking at other people's lives and declaring someone unfit or worthless or useless? Because every second we spend focusing on what we can't do and feeling like that, worthless, we're missing a chance to respond with everything we've got and see what God can do in everything he is. And a chance to respond as Isaiah did and as the people you are about to see in this video respond. Take a look. I'm a perfectionist, and so that's hard with kids. There's definitely days when I have my doubts about my abilities. Struggle with my temper. I struggle with like how I react with situations. I wish I knew how to, I guess, just 
calm myself before speaking to them. I wish I was better at taking time to sit down and just listen more to my child. I wish I was more confident in being a mom. I'm not the most patient person in the world. Patience. Patience is far and away probably the biggest struggle. I just want them to know just how much I love them. My mom is totally awesome. She's fun to snuggle with. Pretty, funny. She does cook a lot of food for me. She's just unique. That's why I love her so much. We go on dates together. Like, we go shopping. She loves me a lot. I have a lot of favorite things about my mom. We like to watch movies together and color and stuff. We go to church together, we volunteer together. She is like my heart, I guess you could say, because she's that close to me. My favorite thing is to jump on a trampoline with my mom. That's my most favorite thing to go up high. We like get ice cream or something and like you go to the nail salon and have fun. <laughs> my mommy's my hero. She's pretty and beautiful. She is my hero. She just will care about me and just always love me forever. She's the best. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> I always seem to focus mostly on the negative, and I guess I can walk out of here and say that I'm doing something great, and that my child is viewing me in totally different lenses as I view myself. So that's, that's inspiring. This is my calling. This is my job. This is what I love to do, and I will do it better and with love each and every day because those kids count on me, and they love me for what I'm doing. Think of it, that through a child, through his child, through his son, God has shown you not only how he sees you, but a picture of everything he is. And so that should produce, that should cause a response to well up within us. It says, God, everything you are deserves everything I've got. You are constant. You are everlasting. You are set apart. You are part of all. You are glorious. You're perfect. You're precise. You're faithful. You are creator. You are provider. You are comforter. You are healer. That's a God who deserves everything we've got. And so I don't know what it is for you this week, but by next Sunday, 
Do something. Maybe you just need to sit and literally inhale and exhale the glory of God and everything he is. Maybe you need to go into the mountains that you drive past and ignore all week long to experience everything he is. Maybe you need to spend time with loved ones, with children who show you everything he is. And I will promise you this, that if you will do that, you will see that everything he is deserves the name holy. Everything he is deserves the praise of angels. And everything he is deserves everything we've got. Let's pray. Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. And the whole earth is full of your glory. And so in the midst of us coming before you, will you remind us that in the midst of everything you are, you are loving and you value and cherish every single one of us. Will you remind us that all we have to do is turn to seek you to see everything you are? And I pray that in every heart this week, you will reveal all that you are and then direct our hearts and our response of our lives to give everything we've got for who you are. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.